0: All right, it's time for our brand new segment on The Goggler Podcast. We don't have a particularly clever name for it yet, so we're just calling it Ask Us Anything. It'll happen every Friday, and basically how it works is simple. You drop us a line, whether it's on DMs, on Instagram, comments on an Instagram post, an email, whatever. Ask us your questions, any question about film, TV, TV, pop culture, what we like, what we hate, what we're ranting on, what we're reading, whatever, and we will try our best to answer them. We put out a call on Monday, and there have been a lot of great questions. Now, I don't mean to sound surprised, because I know our followers are intelligent, highly educated individuals, clearly, but Given what we've seen across the internet, we are thankful that our followers are intelligent, highly educated individuals who ask really good questions. That said, we do have too many questions to address on this podcast, because if we do, this thing will just be endless and go on forever. So we've picked about nine questions to start, and we promise to cover the rest of the questions next Friday. So... Keep those questions coming in. We'll be putting these call-outs across social media, and we'll try our best to answer whatever questions you might have. So first question. It's a simple one. It's an interesting one. It's from @rabbithop who asks, is it possible for Goggler to host another movie marathon, like the Dark Knight trilogy or Lord of the Rings? Last year, of course, we hosted two movie marathons. Guardians of the Galaxy 1, 2, and 3, as well as a Spider-Verse marathon when Across the Spider-Verse showed up. I can't say more at the moment, but there will be another movie marathon coming up. Yes. It's not going to be hard to guess what it is because it's going to be towards the end of February, early March. So if you look at the release schedule, you can probably figure it out. Make an educated guess. Yes. Yes.
1: I will say this. I will say this. These sort of movie marathons are few and far between in Farbetunia, Malaysia. I won't go so far as to say we're the only ones that do it. We're the only ones to have done it recently. But I think if you are a movie lover and you want to see more of these things, keep asking us, keep engaging with us, and also join us when we do it. Because when you ask us, it goes into a little notebook that we then can show to a distributor to say, hey, these guys are calling out for these movies. Because anytime we have proposed it in the past, a lot of distributors have said, uh, but they can watch the movies at home on Netflix or they have the DVDs at home. So it's always a chicken and egg as to whether or not people will come compared to whether or not a distributor will bother to bring it in.
0: Not just that, according to their data, they claim that Malaysians aren't interested. yes. They just believe that Malaysians will not watch old movies in cinemas and will not pay for it. And so you showing up actually matters a great deal because these things cost quite a bit of money. And the only way it works is that if we can prove to the exhibitors and the distributors that it's worth their time and worth our time.
1: Question number two is from I am Ashraf Sayed. What are your biggest personal snubs? and or surprises from the Oscar nominations?
0: I can't say I have many. I think a Mm. lot of the nominations kind of fell within our expectations. An interesting thing to point out, which a lot of people don't necessarily get or are aware of, the Oscars are as much a political game as it is in recognizing the best movies of the year. I would
1: dare say it's probably more political than it is about actually responding to the best films.
0: When we say political, we mean with regards to lobbying. Yes. Last year was a very, very good example of that because last year had the biggest shock of all when Andrea Rice got a surprise nomination for Best Actress Mm. based on some last-minute lobbying done by celebrities and friends. Because obviously, how these nominations work as well is that a whole group of movies get submitted to the Academy and then actors and actresses and directors vote for those selections.
1: Specifically, Greta Goig's snub for Best Director What is worth noting is that the best director nominees are only voted by members of the Directors Guild within the Academy. It's literally other directors voting for these nominees. Something can be said for gender bias, etc. But it's worth noting that it's voted on only by other directors.
0: The general logic behind that is that costume designers know best as to what their job entails. Editors know best, screenwriters know best. And so they're the ones who end up voting for the best in their field. I think there should be that awareness because it's not necessarily always about acknowledging what is truly great. And we've seen that play out across the decades and people are always like, oh my God, this movie was robbed. I mean, Shakespeare in Love is a fine movie, but best picture, (laughs) I don't know.
1: I mean, like, what is that silent movie from a couple years ago. Oh,
0: the French film.
1: Yeah. I loved that film, but whether or not it deserved to win is a different question altogether. The Artist. The Artist, that's the one. I really liked The Artist. It was an absolutely fantastic
0: movie. Yeah. But Best Picture, mm, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I think Surprises, El Condé getting a cinematography nod was a surprise because we loved that film. It was beautifully shot, but we didn't think the Academy would recognize it Like, we didn't think it would be on their radar. And so that Mm. was a really pleasant surprise. For me as well, Nimona getting an animated feature nod. I loved that movie. It was very underhyped, I feel. And it didn't have a presence across the award season. So I didn't think it would get a nomination. It was actually on one of our best of lists of the year. It was on our best of the rest list. And we really loved that film. So seeing it get a nomination, I think very difficult to win given miyazaki's presence on that field but that was a pleasant surprise
1: while on the animated feature i will say i'm surprised that elemental was nominated because it's a fine film but it definitely isn't the kind of film that sticks with you the way something like say inside out did
0: no love for leo and no love for saltburn was quite surprising you haven't seen saltburn yet
1: i haven't gotten chance
0: i didn't like saltburn very much that's it barry keoghan was phenomenal in it. Mm, Like, he was the reason I was completely engrossed in the film, despite having so many issues with the film.
1: But as you said earlier, this year's Oscars pretty much played out, I wouldn't say the way we expected, but not really that many huge surprises or snubs.
0: The only other big surprise was that Napoleon was shut out of all the major categories. Mm. We thought the movie might actually get some recognition for the acting bits, because... Vanessa Kirby and Joaquin Phoenix were really, really good. But I think it was a really strong lineup in 2023 anyway. So even when I think about it, I can't put my finger on who I'd eject from that list for Joaquin Phoenix or Vanessa Kirby.
1: For me, it is always the thing of, with something like Napoleon for Joaquin Phoenix and Vanessa Kirby, I loved their performance, but it really felt like a very good Joaquin Phoenix, Vanessa Kirby performance. It didn't feel extraordinary. And that's always my problem. Whenever I'm talking about awards, I'm always looking for above and beyond. I think I felt Lily Gladstone did fantastic. She has great acting in the quiet bits. And I felt like the Vanessa Kirby stuff, the Joaquin Phoenix stuff is par for the course for Vanessa Kirby and Joaquin Phoenix. So I wasn't that shocked that it wasn't getting it.
0: As for Barbie... I'm shocked at the reaction to it. Yeah. Barbie got eight nominations. It wasn't snub. It was yes. still recognized for being a phenomenal film in 2023, for busting all expectations with regards to being able to craft an intelligent movie out of Barbie, something that no one thought was possible. And for that, Greta Gerwig did get acknowledged in the screenwriting category. Margot Robbie was acknowledged as a producer because the film was nominated for Best Picture. And of course, it was Margot Robbie's producing skills that ended up bringing this thing to life. Yes, So it's not to say that these two women weren't acknowledged. And the narrative around how it was somehow some slight against feminism was quite shocking to me. If only because... Looking at the other people who were nominated in the Best Actress category, even the Best Director category, Mm. Justin Triette, I don't know if half of the people making noise on Twitter have actually seen Anatomy of a Fall. And Anatomy of a Fall is an incredibly powerful feminist film. And if you see it, you will understand. And Justin Triette's done a tremendous job. Sandra Huller, for that movie, Yeah, would you... Reject Sandra Huller from that list. She had an amazing performance. Divine Joy Randolph. Like, there was a line in the LA Times that was the dumbest fucking line I have ever read. You're right, but it also just angers the fuck out of me. The line is that no two women have had a harder time than Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig. And I'm like, wait, are you telling me Divine Joy Randolph A black woman in Hollywood hasn't had a harder time. Are you telling me that Lily Gladstone, a Native American woman in Hollywood, hasn't had a harder time? And it just feels so out of touch. I think the category this year actually celebrates a diversity in women that we haven't seen before.
1: Going back to what I said earlier, you can't tell me Margot Robbie's performance as Barbie was fan-fucking-tastic. It wasn't a Margot Robbie stretch. It's not the hardest role to do. I think America Ferrera did a fantastic job in her role, but I didn't think Margot Robbie's acting as Barbie is comparable to someone like Lily Gladstone. That LA Times article just feels like all the writer watched this year were the DC and or Marvel superhero movies, the big blockbuster movies, saw Barbie and was just like, oh yes, this is my feminist hook to hang my hat on and then just ignored everything else.
0: But also I find that the narrative is kind of flawed with regards to even the joke around, oh, Ryan Gosling got nominated and that's the plot of the Barbie movie. It actually isn't the plot of the Barbie movie. The plot of the Barbie movie is actually incredibly well balanced. The Barbie movie... As an interesting balance between the patriarchy and feminism and what happens when both go to extremes. Yeah. And I think that is the reason why at the end of the Barbie movie, Greta Gerwig writes Barbie apologizing to Ken mm. because she too didn't realize how far she had gone. And so it's all about striking the right balance. Yes, there is a joke at the end where they go, oh, sure, you can have one man on the Supreme Court. But that's still a part of that ongoing joke about balance and not having balance. So in Barbatopia, it's still tilting towards one extreme, while on planet Earth and the rest of the world, it tilts towards the other.
1: It's because at the end of the film, nothing is solved, right?
0: The changes are slight and small. I understand the backlash because it's Hollywood, it's fan wank, it's the same kind of toxicity we see in Marvel and DC only applied towards Barbie this time. Yeah. But at the same time, it feels like it fails to acknowledge the other women who have been nominated in this year's Academy Awards, which are some of the most diverse and amazing performances we've ever seen. Yeah. Okay, enough Oscar stuff. Let's go on to question number three, which is from at GammaRay07. What's another great show like Slow Horses? Ooh, this is a good one. There are plenty. There are plenty of great spy shows.
1: The one that you might want to mention, unfortunately, isn't readily available here. Which one? Monsieur Spade. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a very good one. Off the top of my head, that was what I was thinking.
0: If you're looking for a new show, then yes. Clive Owen and Monsieur Spade. Is on AMC and AMC Plus in the US. Yeah, it's not readily available in Malaysia, but it is a fantastic show. However, okay, I do have a list of a few. Ooh, The Night Manager, which was based on the Jean Le Carre novel with Tom Hiddleston, Olivia Colman, and Hugh Laurie. I don't know where that is. I think it might be on Prime Video. I'm not sure. I think that
1: was on Prime. That was a Prime exclusive. It was
0: BBC and then maybe Prime, or something like that. Yeah, that is a fantastic show. Tehran on Apple TV Plus, I think, is great. Oh, fantastic. If you want something longer than I think The Americans, which is one of those rare TV shows where every season was excellent and had a fantastic ending as well. Yeah. They didn't fuck it up. Homeland
1: is also really good. Although I know it's not exclusively sort of spicy, but it deals with the intelligence industry and that was really good. A show from long ago that I still think about maybe couple times every other month is the Rubicon. Oh, yes. That is fan-fucking-tastic. Rubicon, it only did one season. I think for the time, it was too slow and too inside baseball. If you're looking for something like Slow Horses, I would say go look for a Rubicon. It really is just... Spycraft and Spy, Double Spy, Triple Spy kind of thing.
0: Yes, Rubicon. There's a BBC show from 2014 called The Game, which was a six-episode Cold War thriller. And it was set in the 1970s. Also, just similar to Slow Horses in that it really prioritizes ambience and suspense and tone. Mm. And what I think all of these recommendations do is that they hone in on the act of Spycraft. So it's not James Bond jumping out of a helicopter, landing on robotic skis and fighting off 700 people.
1: Yeah, it's not Man From U.N.C.L.E. No. It's about the non-sexy bits of Spycraft. One more from 2018, The Little Drummer Girl. Oh, yes. I haven't seen it, but directed by Park Chan-wook. It's got Michael Shannon, Alexander Skarsgård, Florence Pugh. I've read so much good things about this It was on BBC in 2018 and then AMC in the US. I hear it's fantastic. Do check
0: that out. So the BBC have done radio dramas of the Jean Le Carre, George Smiley novels. I think they're available on Audible, but also I think you can probably find them on YouTube. Right. But they're definitely worth listening to. I I know it's not technically a movie or a TV show, but... If you don't know the way BBC does radio dramas, it is completely immersive. Yes, You put in your earphones and it feels like you are in a TV show. It is incredibly well done. Yeah, look for the George Smiley productions on BBC Radio. And I think if you like Slow Horses, you will absolutely love it. Also because Mick Herron, who wrote the Slow Horses novels is heavily inspired by Jean Lacari anyway. So, it, it's all cut from the same cloth. So, yes, those are our recommendations for shows like Slow Horses. Of course, the movie Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy as well with Gary Oldman. Yep. yep, also fantastic.
1: Question number four is from Travesty. 2023 was known as a flopbuster. Would there be fewer blockbusters moving forward, do you think?
0: The simple answer at Travesty is no, never. <laughs> if there's one thing we know, Hollywood likes money even when they lose money, they will spend more and more money to try and make it all back again. I will say this.
1: I think 2024 will have fewer blockbuster flops only because there are fewer blockbusters made. That's partially been due to the writer's strike, but also a response to the bad run
0: of 2023. Well, you say that. However... I don't know if it was a direct response, because if you look at the release schedule before the strikes, there was still going to be a shit ton of big budget movies coming out in 2024. They were just forced to push it all because they couldn't get the production finished in time. Now, I think it's only Marvel that have, I won't even say gone back to the drawing board, because... All of the movies that were scheduled to be released are still going to be released, but maybe with some reshoots and some recuts.
1: I'm hoping the delay sort of educates the studios in how a good movie requires time. You can't just schedule two movies a year and expect each one of them to be billion-dollar box offices. I think that's sort of been... The feeling with MCU the last almost 18 months of just them flooding Disney+, and flooding the cinemas with MCU content, expecting and assuming people to come out. I would say there will be fewer flops.
0: Yes. I think there are fewer movies that have cost in excess of $200 Mm. that are coming out in 2024. Primary reason, as you said, being because of the strikes. But also, it is the first year in maybe a decade with the fewest number of superhero releases. So in this mm. year, you've only got Deadpool 3 from Marvel, you've got Joker, Foliadu from DC, and then Sony have the most with Madam Web, Craven, and Venom 3. And there was a recent article in Variety or Hollywood Reporter, I can't remember which one, that was talking about how Sony are taking an active effort to not talk about those movies as part of a universe. They think the universe narrative has run its course. And so, Madam Webb, Craven, Venom 3 are going to be sold and marketed as standalone films. Huh. Which means they may not even have post-credit sequences. They may not endeavor to tie into anything bigger. And I think that's an active effort on their part because audiences are becoming a little fatigued. With DC, of course, this is the break. This is the break following the end of the Snyderverse and the beginning of the Gunn Saffronverse, which starts in 2025 because they just started shooting Superman Legacy. I think a whole bunch of shows are currently in pre-production. And so, yeah, it's a bit of an interim year. Will there be fewer blockbusters moving forward? I don't think so. But 2024, will see fewer blockbusters, period.
1: Yes, that's exactly it. I'm sure come 2025, when Marvel's got a shit ton scheduled, DC is going to be there as well. But 2024 will be fairly quiet, I guess.
0: Also, if you want, at Travesty, check out William Goldman's book. It's an old book, Adventures in Screenwriting. Mm. Adventures in the Screen Trade, sorry. And it's an old book, but one that still applies today. William Goldman's big argument is that no one knows anything. And it's essentially his thesis for how nobody in Hollywood knows anything. Everything is trial and error. No one knows what's going to be a hit or what's going to be a flop. And it feels like nothing has changed in the 30 or 40 years since he wrote that book. It feels like they go through the same cycles over and over again and keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again. And so that's why you end up with massive surprises like, what? Barbie made more than a billion? Oppenheimer hit a billion? It's all news to them.
1: Go back a year. Nobody was, nobody had hopes for Oppenheimer or Barbie, right? It was always going to be a surprise.
0: Question from at Maven One: What are five films you are most excited about for this year, for 2024? There are plenty of movies that are coming out that we're excited about. We don't have a complete list because there are a lot of the smaller, talky, Oscar-worthy movies that kind of get announced towards the later end of the year. So they get released just so they meet Oscar timing criteria. But of what we know, at least for me, Bahe, Dune Part 2, I'm really excited about Mickey 17, which is the new Bong Jun ho movie. I'm also very excited about Alex Garland's Civil War. Yeah. Also because it feels incredibly timely being released in a year when Donald Trump may be running against Joe Biden again. He may be the candidate. Actually, you know what? It looks like he is going to be the candidate. To be fair, he's going to be the candidate. So it feels like a very timely movie because it's about America engaging in a new civil war. I'm also excited about Furiosa. Mm. I know this is more than five, but Deadpool 3, only because I really enjoy that franchise. It is the one Marvel movie that doesn't take itself too seriously at all. And I'm excited to see the Hugh Jackman-Ryan Reynolds pairing. It's been a long time coming, and I think that'll be fun, and that'll probably make a lot of bank just by virtue of their names alone. But the one that I'm most excited about, and this is because I've been a fan from the time I was a kid, Alien Romulus. It's got a title, it's called Alien Romulus. Okay, okay, okay. So this is the Fede Alvarez alien movie that was for the longest time simply called Untitled Fede Alvarez Alien Project. Yeah. I believe it's going to be called Alien Romulus, It's coming out this year. Fede Alvarez was responsible for the Evil Dead remake. He also did Don't Don't Breathe. Breathe. He's a good horror director. Mm -hmm. This one takes place between Alien and Aliens. Right. Okay. All of the designs are based on the original Xenomorphs. And I think it'll be cool to see an Alien horror movie again. Because mm. what Ridley Scott has done with the franchise is gone down that origin, path and mythology, philosophy, all of that stuff. And I just always like the visceral nature of those first two Alien movies.
1: I'm trying to pick films that you haven't mentioned. I'm curious to see Beyond the Spider-Verse
0: how that wraps up. Wait, 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 wait. That's not coming out this year, right? Like, Is it? I mean, it was scheduled for it, but then all the news we heard was like, oh, no one's recorded any lines yet, and the strike really really postponed. I think we're getting tricked, my friend. I think that is not coming out this year.
1: In that case, strike that. The War of the Rohirrim, I'm a massive Lord of the Rings guy.
0: We didn't even know about that movie.
1: That, That just came out of the blue. It's an animated prequel set way before the events of the movies and the books, about, I think, 200 years before... I'm curious to see Gladiator 2... Oh, yeah. ...only because I want to see what he does with it. The last one I'll put out there is... Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. I'm constantly surprised by every installment of this new Planet of the Apes series. Because they approach it in a way that I find very serious. This new series of Planet of the Apes films... Don't try and do the Tim Burton thing where they put man in suits because... That was what the original was and Timberton wanted to keep to the original feel of the films and all that. This series really treats the idea of the coming of the apes as a real serious topic and they approach the stories very, very well. I'm never wanting a new installment of that series, but every time there's a new installment, I'm blown away and I love it immediately.
0: Oh, for sure. I think it is probably one of the best and most successful trilogies ever made. Last one, Monkey Man. Oh, that popped out of nowhere as well. That
1: came out of nowhere. That trailer is fantastic. Dev Patel directing, Jordan Peele producing. Looks great. Looks really sort of just fucking
0: intense. Indian John Wick. I like it.
1: Next question, Dog 99 if you could say anything to young independent filmmakers in Malaysia, what would it be?
0: I was going to let Bahi take this question because he always has a lot of ranting <laughs> towards young independent filmmakers in Malaysia. <laughs> as a young independent filmmaker at one time, Bahe.
1: At one time. Um, at one, one time. Yourself, <laughs> as one yourself. As one I was. I was once asked this by a group of young independent filmmakers. And my first statement was, don't do it just just don't fucking do it however if you are i will say you know what like most anything practice just shoot when i did this you know you needed expensive cameras i did this you know in the 2000s and you needed mini dv cameras that i had to sneak across from singapore because i didn't want to pay taxes because those cameras were not even available here and then subsequently was the sort of was the explosion of the Canon Mark III cameras and everybody loved the the ability to use lenses and bouquets and all that but now you've got phones and my key thing is practice grab a couple of friends download some scripts from the internet and just fucking practice shoot it edit it put it up see what happens in Malaysia especially when we don't really have a thriving independent film industry unlike the US where they've got festivals and competitions, et cetera, you have less to play with here. So your only chance to potentially get noticed and to get better at your job is to keep shooting. Just keep shooting, upload it. Even if nobody watches it, doesn't matter. It's the act of getting two people together to read a scene while you're standing behind a camera and asking yourself, why does this look boring?
0: That is my advice. My advice is to keep watching stuff. You cannot be a writer, you cannot be a filmmaker if you don't read and if you don't watch movies. That is how you learn. Every time we speak to people and they cannot tell me what they've watched recently, what they like, what they've read recently, I have absolutely no faith in their ability. Every great filmmaker is inspired, learns their craft from watching and observing other things. Your knowledge of film must be comprehensive. So never stop watching stuff. Never stop reading stuff.
1: Yeah, and I will say, don't just watch your favorite director over and over. Go oh, back, no. watch watch a silent film. Watch
0: everything.
1: Yeah, find a Fellini movie. Find a Bollywood thing. Fuck, go find some Nollywood movies and find out what works for them.
0: Watch the bad stuff. Watch the good stuff. Watch the great stuff. Watch everything anime watch everything because there are styles not just of shooting but of storytelling and narrative construction all of that differs from country to country and place to place and director to director and the only way to learn you're not going to find that in the book you're not going to find that in a youtube video or a tiktok video the only way to learn is to actually consume it and understand what's going on yep all right, next question is from at Lookman's, uh what are your current favorite non-American British directors? Lukman stopped watching international cinema for a while and once they get back into the awesome ones. He says, preferably those who are not famous yet. So here's the thing. It's very hard to recommend international directors that aren't necessarily famous yet because a lot of them may only have one or two works. And I don't think that's enough. God knows there are enough of directors out there who have done one great piece of work and then gone on to produce a lot of mediocre stuff. And so I think, for me, I try to look at a body of work and maybe of directors who a lot of people haven't seen. So the first one that comes to mind is the French director Claire Denis. Okay. So Claire Denis, you would know from her English movie High Life with Robert Pattinson and Juliette Binoche. It was a sci-fi horror film. It was very, very good. But I recommend going and watching her other movies, which are French Bastards, Let the Sun Shine In, Both Sides of the Blade. I also am a big fan of Thomas Winterberg, who did Another Round, which is probably his most accessible work. It was nominated for an Oscar with Mads Mikkelsen. Fantastic film. Mm. But also watch The Hunt, The Commune. Far From the Madding Crowd, which is his English language work. Thomas Winterberg and Claire Denis are probably my big recommendations for people with a fantastic body of work. International directors who don't get much recognition or watch over here in Malaysia, also because their works are quite hard to come by. Not all of it is on streaming and God knows they never come to Malaysian cinemas. And then there's Pak Wok, Shinya Sukamoto, Ruben Ostland. There are all these other people as well. But those two would probably be I think some of the most accomplished ones that don't necessarily get as much attention.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't have anything to add to that other than, say, watch Isla Lopez's True Detective Season 4. Oh, yes. That's been fantastic. I haven't seen any of her other work.
0: Because she's only primarily done work in Mexico, right?
1: Yeah, and I think she's only done three films? Two features, I think? Or something silly like that. And True Detective Season 4 is fan fucking so next question, at See If This Works, asks, what's the local situation for unions? Actors, writers, producers, etc.
0: What's you talking about, See If This Works? What local unions? Do they do anything?
1: You're mistaken. There are <laughs> local unions. There are unions. Uh, I've been members of are. several of them.
0: I know there are.
1: But! At See If This Works, I've been a member of the producing union. Both producing unions, actually. And... I will preface this by saying that was a long fucking time ago, potentially about more than 10 years now. At the time, and from what I've heard since, it doesn't seem it has changed. None of the unions do anything. The unions are there to collect fees. The unions are there to, to be glib and to sort of be a little nice to them. The unions are there to ensure that you as a producer are actually a producer. So for example, in my case, in my situation, I had to become a member of the producing union so I could submit my application to get a shooting license or a shooting permit, which I then required to submit to LPF for censorship. This was at the time. So the only reason to sign up to a union was so that Finas will accept your application. Essentially, it is just
0: to verify that you are... a actual real producer. And that's fine and necessary because yes. God knows there may be enough people pretending and masquerading as these producers and directors and using that to maybe con people, evade tax, God knows, right? Yep. Malaysians are very creative in that sense. For that purpose, yes, the unions do their job. However, if you're thinking about unions in the same way unions operate overseas, in which they negotiate contracts, in which they set rules of engagement, in which they take care of their actors, actresses, producers, directors in times of crises, no. no. That does not exist in this country. And there's a lot of other stuff that doesn't exist in this country because of that lack of representation. So, for example, residuals for actors, for writers, for directors, for producers, none of that exists. You could have made a great movie at one point or a great TV show, but when it lands on Netflix, for example, the studio that owns it is getting a huge fee, but you see nothing of that money. Yep. And a lot of that is because... We don't have the structure, unions, managers, agents, etc.
1: What we don't have is an industry. We don't have a filmmaking industry. We have filmmakers, and that includes crews and cinematographers and grips and dolly guys and drivers and caterers and stuff like that. But we don't have film accountants. We don't have film lawyers. We don't have agents. We don't have real agents. We've got agents who are people's family members or best friends. But what we need is an industry, something we don't have. The writer's strike in the US really proved how far apart we are when we're talking about industries. They have a union that is fighting for pay minimums. They have a union that is fighting for better residual cuts. Whereas here, the actors' unions maybe once a year throw a party for a year. So in
0: America, you can be a working actor. And you can get small parts in movies and TV shows and you can recur in all of those things and you can eke out a pretty good living or an okay living. That is not possible at all in Malaysia. It is not a viable career path. And a lot of that has to do with this lack of industry and lack of support, which isn't to say everything is perfect in America. Agents take too much money. Managers and lawyers take too much of a cut as well. But At least they have some semblance of a system that they are trying to fix, however broken it may be. Yeah. For us, it's still the Wild West. Yes. And that hasn't changed.
1: So yeah, so at See If This Works, that's that's the wider picture with regards to the situation of unions here in Malaysia.
0: And we don't know if that's going to change in the near future because it's a system that just seems to work lah. It works for... The maybe
1: five or seven producers who work on the reg, it works for the 12 or 15, potentially 20 working directors. And then there are the hundred or so actors that constantly
0: get jobs. The power is at the top. And because there is no union system, there isn't organized power at the bottom to actually fight back. And so that's the biggest problem. So yeah, what's the local situation for unions? There isn't one, pretty much. Yeah. Last question for this edition of Ask Us Anything. This has been asked by multiple people across about two or three weeks. Godzilla minus one, is it coming to Malaysia? Now, you may have read already, it's been doing the rounds on social media, that it's not coming to Malaysia. And that is correct. Toho has decided not to release it in Southeast Asia. Yes. At least for the foreseeable future, we don't know when we will be able to watch Godzilla Minus One because we don't even know what the streaming deals are for that film. But as for cinemas, it's not going to be in Thailand, Singapore, Philippines, Malaysia, not happening.
1: And I think it's worth repeating. It isn't that there are no distributors trying to get it. It isn't that the cinemas don't want to bring it in. It's the actual owners of the IP, the actual... Producers of the film, Toho, in Japan, have said that they're avoiding Southeast Asia.
0: We know why. We're not going to name our sources, but they're very reliable sources that tell us it's because of the content of the film, which is centered around World War II. And Toho feels that the topic might be too sensitive, given Japan's involvement in the war in Southeast Asia. We don't think that's necessarily the case because... Japanese culture as a whole has become pretty ingrained in our own popular culture, that I don't think Malaysians or Singaporeans are going to be overly sensitive about a story that happens to take place in World War II, in Japan, that maybe features, say, a kamikaze pilot. I don't think it's going to affect us in the same way that maybe it affected our ancestors.
1: Unless the movie's actually set in Southeast Asia
0: <laughs> while they're here. <laughs> And then Godzilla shows up. Even then, I don't know if Malaysians are going to protest in the streets over a Godzilla movie. I could be wrong. Unless what happens is the Japanese use
1: Godzilla to take over Malaya and Singapore. That's how they defeated the British. It wasn't the bicycles, my friend. It was motherfucking Godzilla.
0: Maybe. Yeah. Emperor Hirohito was riding on the back of Godzilla. What was that British warship we learned about in high school? The Prince of Wales?
1: Yes, of Kuantan.
0: Maybe it was Godzilla that stomped on the Prince of Wales and destroyed it. That's why, yeah, It's possible. Possible. That's why Godzilla Minus One is not coming to Southeast Asia or Malaysian cinemas. We don't know. Things might change. Hopefully, someone manages to convince Toho that, hey, people in Malaysia really love their monster movies. Monarch, that Apple TV Plus show, does really well. Also, Godzilla and Kong is coming out. New Empire, whatever that new one's called. Godzilla X x-cong x versus the last time versus was the last one now this they one the love the x. With x. yeah X-XX, yeah x godzilla oh god so yeah those are all the answers we have for you today keep sending in those questions let us know if we've missed anything out let us know if you have other recommendations that we might have missed for shows like Slow Horses. Let us know what the movies you're looking forward to the most in 2024. You know how to reach out, goggler MY, all of our social media feeds. You can email us on podcast at goggler.my or send us a WhatsApp on the Goggler Hotline 012-524-5208. We're going to be doing this every Friday. Ask us anything. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Goggler Podcast.